down south. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, will join me in a second. We will break down Florida's 82-74 loss to Kentucky. We will also preview Florida's upcoming game against Vanderbilt. We appreciate all of you listening. Remember that you can find us on most any streaming service. Leave a review at Apple Podcast. Hit a heart on Spotify. Any of that stuff helps as we continue to bring you the show for free. We thank you again for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GetterCountry.com. Eric um, went to the game live, uh, then came home and watched the game and kind of came to the same conclusion. Well, a slightly different conclusion after watching the game, um, but a good effort by Florida. Uh, they fall short, though, um, and are swept by Kentucky this year. Yeah, I thought they did generally play quite well. Um, it was uh, a situation where, you know, like I, I like I said in the last podcast, I was like, I don't know if I'm picking the Gators to score on anybody. And I, you know, not trying to be be rude, but that's kind of just where I'm at with the team that has struggled to score um, now without Colin Castleton. And, and, you know, the Gators are at, I think, 1.05 or 1.06 points per possession. Um, not a, you know, b- b- blistering hot number, but a good, one that was good enough to win. Um, so they were able to muster some some pretty good looks, play play pretty well offensively. I mean, all things considered, probably one of their better um, offensive showings. Of course, as we talked about, Kentucky not a great defensive team, um, but yeah, the the defense is is uh, not what it was with with Colin Castleton um, for sure. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. This is one of those ones that like I think defensively. Uh, being there live is 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 one of those things. That, I don't know. It's it's just like the physicality of the game when you see it live. It it, it kind of looks a little bit differently. So I'm interested what what you saw there. You also had some some pretty nice seats I saw on Twitter. So I uh, <laughs> maybe purchased before you knew Colin Castleton was going to be out. But uh, you know, it's one of those things where, like we've talked about, if there's one thing that the staff really does deserve credit for, it's like I don't think that you know, like like I thought the Gators were going to be good defensively this year. I thought that it was going to be because of, or in some part to um, a good deal of minutes from Niles Lane and CJ Felder. That hasn't been the case. Um, they're playing guys that I didn't think would be great defensively and they found a way to be pretty good defensively. However, you know, I still think, yeah, when you look at the, the size and athleticism um, at a couple of key positions, it's not like this team is like totally built to be an elite defense. They were playing like an elite defense for, you know, about a month and a half, maybe close to two months, but it just, you know, to lose one major piece, um, that it was kind of like it felt a little bit like you know someone pulled the one of the the bottom planks out of a Jenga tower like it just it, the, the the Gators <laughs> you know and not not to be you know no, disrespectful I, but it just you know it's, it's 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 one of those things that we always were like man they're playing a team that does not you know this team is not loaded with great defenders as currently constituted and they're playing like an elite defense and we're just like oh it seems like the stars are kind of aligning and this team is playing really really connected and uh yeah you lose your you know your elite rim protector someone who can guard and pick and roll suddenly the gators are i you know i would go as far as to say a not very good defensive team but i'm curious what you saw yeah we had a nice kentucky guy next to us um and he said this is the game where colin castleton should have won sec defensive player of the year and i laughed very hard and thought wait a minute that might be right like (laughs) 
<laughs> when I cast, when I, well, it's Eric's ballot this year, but like thinking about how to handle that ballot and how to handle Colin Castleton and then seeing what Florida has done without him. And you're kind of like, man, what is the SEC Defensive Player of the Year award? Um, you know, certainly Florida, not the same uh, without Colin, quite obviously. Uh, Oscar Shibway just feasted inside on whoever um, Florida tried to, to guard him with, um, whether it was help, which they didn't do a ton of, um, again. Um, and I, you know, respect on that. That's, that's the way that they decided to approach it. Um, I really didn't have any problem with that approach. Kind of interested in your thoughts, but Oscar took advantage of it. He also was super hot in his mid range game, which is hit or miss most of the time. Um, I think he hit five of six from of the, his free throw line jumpers. I mean, if you do that, tip your hat to him. Um, but you know, I thought Jason had a good first half defensively and a, kind of a poor second half defensively as he tired, uh, watching it live, his feet were just a little less quick, uh, defensively in the second half. And Oscar was able to get around him, um, a couple times. I thought Florida's perimeter defense on the ball and communication was very good, uh, in person, a lot of talking, um, I thought that they handled the handful of screens that Kentucky does set pretty well. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just no rim protector. Like Florida's first shot defense, Eric, I thought was pretty decent. Um, and then especially in the second half when they gave up 46 points, like I think it's important to keep in mind. So like Kentucky was six of eight on their second chance opportunities second possessions in the second half, like that's 13 points right there. Cause there was an and one in there. So, I mean, you know, Florida's first shot defense was good enough to keep them in the game in the second half, um, but not good enough to win the game. The one curious thing that I saw, and I don't know, I don't think you have to be there live to think it was curious. Like you easily could have said that's weird watching on TV was the decision to go back to the starting five when a different lineup had basically produced a 22, six, 22 to six run to end the first half. And they went back to the starters. And, you know, I mentioned it all year and we've talked about how you can have a decent scout on one side of the ball, not have a great scout on another side of the ball, um, Eric, but you know, another game where a slow start just really crushes Florida. I mean, they get behind 30 to 15 the rest of the game, they win by seven. And remember, like four or five of those points were late game free throws that Kentucky made to kind of extend what had been a two or three point game to to the final score of eight. Yeah, I, I had no no issues with the way that the Gators um, defended, um, chose to defend. Uh, and I think that, like you said, I just think that the Gators kind of ran out of steam. And, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, we talked about the fact that this is not our normal Kentucky team and that they were playing, they were going to be playing hungry and desperate. And I think one of the like tangible ways, again, there's one of those things that like, you know, how can you tangibly talk about how, how desperate a team is or how hungry they're playing? Um, I'm going to look at the fact that Antonio Reeves played 39 minutes. Chris Livingston played 39 minutes. Case and Wallace and Oscar Shibway had 38 minutes and Jacob Toppin had 35 minutes. Like they essentially played only five guys. Um, that shows you one where they, where they're, where they trust um, or who they trust, who Cal Perry trusts. Of course, CJ Frederick and, and Sevier Wheeler are not available who are important pieces, but um, 
yeah, like they were they were a team that like I think you can see right there with just the way that they chose to use their lineups. They were desperate. They were not going to go down without you know their best guys playing. And those guys had a little more gas in the tank than than Florida's. But I also think when you look at the offensive rebounding total total, that would be something else that you added. And again, that's what I was saying is it's like how desperate were they? They've been awesome on the offensive glass all year. The Gators have been bad on the defensive glass. Um, you don't need desperation to have a team that like even even if the Gators were desperate, they're still a team that were that are not very good on the defensive glass playing a team that's very good on the offensive glass. So um, that, of course, was uh, an element of frustration for a lot of people. And, you know, when it comes to lineups, generally speaking, I uh, especially this late in the season, like to go back to your starters in, in the second half, that's something that like conceptually, like if someone was saying, hey, um, we had a different lineup, kind of close the first half, play really well. Um, but what we kind of do is always start with this lineup in the second half and we've done it all year and, you know, had success. Then I'd be like, okay, then I like, I would, I would support that, especially if there's data to suggest that that lineup has been good, but it's one of those things that like, well, the Gators starting lineup is no longer intact and their starting lineup, you know, quote unquote, that they've had to use the last couple of games have not, has not been effective. So I don't think the Gators should be really married to any lineup at this point. Um, again, like maybe there's a couple certain combinations you, you like in terms of backcourt maybe wing a little bit, but like, I don't think there's any, um, like when it comes to the front court right now that the Gators have had to piece together, there's, there's just nothing that would be like, Oh, we've got to go back to, to this group like that. So um, yeah, I just, this is, this is a time where like, normally I, I don't love a bunch of tinkering with lineups late in the season, but, but this is not a normal situation. So I, 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 yeah, I would have loved to have seen a different, a different lineup. Of course, like you said, um, the, the starting lineup was not great to start the game. So the idea that like, Oh, like, well, let's get back to them in, in the second half, especially when, again, you don't really have any sample of that line. Like it's one of those things that this lineup been, been playing well all year long. And then they have a bad stretch. Well, you kind of have that built up equity of, of a, a year of good basketball. That's not the case with, with this. And I think we even talked last, last podcast that I said, I would like to see the Gators go to some more. I don't know. Well, maybe not extreme strategies, but I would just love to see them try different things because like, Hey, what do you get? What do you have to lose? Um, that would extend to, to lineups as, as, as well, where, yeah, I just don't think the Gators should be married to any particular group. Yeah. And I mean, will Richard and Myron come back into the game um, and Florida up 37, 36, their uh, brief lead. <laughs> At the half, I guess it was a long lead because it was for all of halftime. Um, the uh, Kentucky goes on the 14 to six run to start the um, second half. Todd Golden calls a timeout, changes the lineup, and Florida gets eight straight points and takes a 51 50 lead. And I thought what Florida did to get that lead back was the same thing that they had done in the first half, which was really. Um, and we did preview it on the last podcast and just say, like, you can get Kentucky caught in pick and roll defense. You can also attack their switches and drive them a lot better than you usually have because, you know, Oscar Shiba is not really a rim protector. Um, and so I thought Florida did a really nice job of, of attacking switches and driving. And I thought Jason Jatoba played very well on the offensive end, whether it was sealing help defenders or, um, you know, his touches around the rim and his decision-making and his passing. Um, and I thought that that continued in the, in the second half. Uh, yeah. He's again, pretty good. There's just, again, there's just some possessions where, again, I feel bad saying it, but there's, there's a reason sure. why not every team in the sec or 
most there's a reason why most teams in the SEC and most teams at the high major level do not have a six foot 11, 300 pound player out there. Because I, I yep. just again talking about the margin of error, there's times where I thought that Jatobo played so intelligently and so hard on a possession for 18 seconds, and then just like one situation where he had to stunt and recover or hedge and recover, and he's just those those rotations are slow and it was just one of those things mm-hmm. where he played 18 seconds of outstanding defense and then made one error and it kind of broke everything down for the Gators and it sucks because there's a lot of players that would be not as smart or not as putting in as much effort that would put in 20 seconds of decent defense and the result would have been better than Con Castleton playing 18 seconds of really good defense but then still giving up a so a bucket so um yeah, it's 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 was good to see him have um, I think a better game than he did against Arkansas. That's that's for sure. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely some some issues there. And again, like it's one of those things where tough for a guy to be thrown into a starting lineup and then like, hey, great, you get to play Arkansas, who's where you're going to be attacked relentlessly. And now you're going to play Kentucky. So um, it was tough, but yeah, I think the offense, the what he showed offensively at the touch around the rim um, when he gets position on the inside and, and seals guys like like and again that's. I, I've always said it with Jatobo, and I will continue to say it if he's going to be a player at the high major level. Um, like he needs to be just an absolute killer on the offensive end. Like he needs to, like he needs to be. I would even almost say like featured because he's someone that you have to put in there and have defenses have to respond to. And I think you saw against Kentucky um, how he can be that guy going four of seven um, pretty efficiently. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And, and then again, again, the other thing I have to kind of point out again I, I kind of mentioned that his rebounding has, has has never really been up to the standard we had hope you know he has two rebounds in in, in 25 minutes um again and that's another thing I'm curious if maybe uh maybe watching live you had not that <laughs> again of all the things you're watching for I don't know if Jason Jatobo box outs is something you uh could spend much mental energy on but like was there was it like was it noticeable that he you know, wasn't able to pursue rebounds. Was it noticeable that he wasn't getting bodies or like, what is, is there any insight you can give to the rebounding for, for a guy at that size to have, you know, two rebounds in, in, in 25 minutes? Yeah, I am um, demonstrably nodding my head at Eric so that everyone knows. Um, yes, there are. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> there are uh, a number of things that Jason doesn't do um, on the glass that I think, contribute to the fact that he just can't compete for these rebounds. And I think one of them, Eric actually alluded to a little bit in his comments just a second ago. Like I think watching Jason live, he is concentrating on so many things um, defensively. I think sometimes he's even pointing out things to other people on his team and calling things out. And I think sometimes he's just a little bit late to start his box out because he's worried about other things. And so people can establish position on him. I also think he's a little bit gun shy because of whistles. Mm. Um, You know, I think that that seems pretty noticeable because he'll go up for a rebound and look at a ref Uh, that happened three or four times um, in this game. And it was something I was paying attention to because we just discussed it on the last podcast. And I thought, man, it might be useful given the spectacular seats that I had to kind of, watch this and how often do you get to see a national player of the year <laughs> that close underneath the rim? So obviously those seats were intended for the Castleton Sheboy duel, but um, did get to see quite a bit of that. And then I thought the other guy that had a big time problem with the rebounding. Um, and I don't know if this, 
I don't know if in the scout it was, we need you to get down the floor in transition. We need you to, after a shot attempt, we need you to start sneaking down the floor, maintain your floor balance, but get down so that we can hit quick shots, quick shot offense. I don't know if that was part of the scout or not. So I'm not equipped to to pass too much judgment on this, but I don't think Quasey Reeves did a real good job of digging down and, and helping on the glass. He was the other guy that it was kind of noticeable that either he's a little gun shy physically um, in ways that he's not when he drives now, <laughs> um, which makes it odd. Uh, or there was some sort of schematic thing that's coached. And I think they really need Wacy because he's just such a better athlete than Will Richard, who's a willing guy defensively to try to rebound, but not as capable, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good question. I'd be interested if there has been like scout differences in what Reeves is doing on the glass because he's got like you look at just his, his rebounding kind of totals and, and games. There's there's games where it just seems like he's flying in there and getting like five or six rebounds. And then there's games where he's just not felt on the yes. defensive glass at all. So I do wonder if that's something where it's like, hey, our our offense um has not been very good. We are now missing Colin Castleton. We are going to get pounded on the glass anyways, because we already have gotten pounded on the glass at full strength. Um, why don't we just, you know, send you down the floor and see if we can get a quick one? So I'd be interested. That's a that's a really good question. Um, and going to, you know, Will Richard is is someone who I yeah, not as athletic or long as as Reeves, but is is probably a little stronger. So it's right. uh, uh you know, given Florida's lineups, if that was a situation where um, Richard is the guy who's trying to just seal his guy and, and, and push him away from the hoop as much as possible. And then you have those guards like Reeves kind of fly in and, and, and get one. Maybe that's what they're looking to do because again, yeah, like Richard, especially for playing small, his rebounding numbers are, are, are pretty good. Um, and I think just kind of eye test wise, um, no big issues other than the issue of just like I had, I had mentioned, um, that I thought he was someone who was, you know, probably best at the best at the three, um, though he played, you know, the four at, at Belmont um, ended up, you know, having to play a little bit, I'll say out of position and play a little bit, uh, a little bit bigger. Yep. That's just kind of unfortunate for, for him uh, or, and the team. I don't think uh, I, uh, ideally the Gators have more pieces in the front court, but uh, yeah, the, the rebounding is an issue. And honestly, if, if, if golden was saying, Hey, we're going to get killed on the glass anyways, why don't we have someone leak out and see if we can get a cheap one? here or there yeah and we just live with with results honestly i like i wouldn't i wouldn't actually hate that i know a lot of people no i don't either i don't either (laughs) but uh that's again that's all that's honestly one of those like extreme strategies that i'm a fan of when you know that you're the least talented or the lesser talented team and uh without colin cast indicators are going to be that in in a lot of matchups um well the schedule's getting a little bit easier now but still without you know, without Colin Castleton, how, where do you really see the Gators next to some of these teams? We'll discuss it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a int- interesting notes on the glass, which has been a problem for now um, whew, many years and uh, now a couple of coaching staffs. Yeah. I mean, look, Florida shot 50% from the field. Um, they shot 40% from three. Uh, they were a little under their average at the free throw line. Um, you know, they haven't shot the, ball at the free throw line as well the last few games and that goes back that predates the castleton injury um really since the game at rupp arena they haven't had a real good a real game where they shot great at the line um but i thought shot the ball well enough to win attacked offensively well enough to win and just got sensational play from two players uh so let's start with riley kugel uh who i thought um 
you know, John Calipari singled him out in his post-game press conference. Uh, just, you know, called him a dude, said he's having fun. Um, man, I just thought he was uh, really, really special. Um, and I thought Terry Oglesby calling in for that carry uh, in the second half was one of the most patently absurd things I've ever seen. And I, you know what I loved that I saw live, that you probably didn't get to see on TV, was Riley being super calm and mature and talking to Terry Oglesby about all the reasons it wasn't a carry. And then smiling and patting Terry Oglesby on the behind after their conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Google's a pro man. Like it's, it's one of those things that's it's, it's, it's interesting. Like so good. One, one of the, uh, like one of the things that that's great about college basketball, as opposed to like, again, it's, it's not like college basketball is ever going to really compete with the NBA. It's always going to be somewhat of a niche sport, but one of the major issues that, that face the, the NBA that college basketball doesn't have the problem with, um, is like tanking or yeah. And even before lottery odds were what they were, um, you know, it's tough for some of these teams to maintain motivation at, at the end. And it's one of those things that like now in college basketball, whether it's guys playing for, to try to get to the NBA or it's trying to make a whole boatload of NIL money. Like there is a lot to play for right now. And I'm not saying that's inherently what's motivating Kugel. If he's like, Oh man, I might secure myself a, a, a bag from the Gator collective or something like that. But like, the fact of the matter is like over the last couple of weeks, Riley Kugel has made himself a lot of money, whether it's his NIL value or it's because he's maybe going to go one and done and Graham Hall will get to have a victory lap. Um, but it's one of those things that like when we're talking about what it's at the point now where, when we're talking, what's the most important thing for the Gators to get this off season or what for them to, to do from a roster management standpoint. And we're both at the point where it's like the most important thing is to keep Riley Kugel. Like this is someone who can score 20, whatever points against Kentucky, despite things yep. going pretty poorly for, for the Gators. This is the guy that could compete against Florida's best competition this year, despite being a freshman. So, and, and even see like Calipari say that I thought it was funny because I'm like, this is the guy, this, like, this is the player that Calipari had when his teams were at their best, like this kind of like six foot four, um, six foot five athletic can make plays off the bounce, shoot it a little bit. Like, again, I think that, of course, Cal Perry's gone a little bit more to the side of just pure like athleticism and, and size. And yeah. it's like, but you, you think about the the best Kentucky players, like, yeah, they've looked a lot like Riley Kugel. And I say that as a compliment because again, those are the guys that go be first round NBA picks. So um, yeah, there's just not enough you could say about Riley Kugel. He's been truly, truly outstanding. He really has. Uh, before we talk about our other kind of new, uh, well, before we get into the other player that, that was super impressive on Wednesday night, I remind you that the Florida Basketball Hour is powered by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards, while athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member in Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. And remember that like, this is a great time just to do that. Um, you saw the announcement this week that I know Eric and I are jacked up about uh, with the TBT uh, and the Florida team. You know, we had teased it a little on the pod and, and they came out and said they've got some players on board. So super excited to see which direction uh, Florida goes in the basketball tournament. But it'll be great to have a Florida team there to, if for no other reason than to just, boat race a Syracuse team in round one or something. 
Yeah, I was stoked to hear that on the podcast. I'm sure people heard my my enthusiasm about that. It's something I've wanted for for a long time. I, I just absolutely love the TBT and, or TBT. And uh, yeah, I just uh, also, again, we want to truly thank Gatorverse for supporting a podcast like ours that, again, is like at times very, uh, very niche. And uh, and uh, the fact that they're willing to support a bunch of, you know, this podcast because they know that this is where the people who like love Gator basketball kind of like to spend their time listening to. We are very thankful for them. So uh, yeah, shout out to Gatorverse. It was fun to meet a couple different uh, listeners to the show on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, shout out to William Norris who, who made sure that I got to say hello to him and his dad uh, after the game, met a couple other people uh, prior to the contest um, actually took a couple photos for some people making sure that, you know, some, some folks got their photo taken with the dazzlers. There's one dazzler this year. That's like six foot tall. And like, I was trying to see if she could play in the post a little bit um, <laughs> while taking her, her uh, photograph with, with one of our listeners. So anyway, it was a lot of fun just to be down there. It's always Florida, Kentucky is special. And one of these days we're all going to band together and get Fawcett down to a, a Florida, <laughs> Kentucky game. Um you know, and it was loud. It was louder than the Missouri game, which was sold out. And this game was not sold out, people. Um, I will tell you that. Like, it wasn't empty. It, it ended up filling up nicely. And, in fact, it was weird because it was like the second bowl was kind of where the most empty seats were. Like, the upper bowl was full and all the student areas were full. So, shout out to the Gator students for um, getting there. And a guy that really lit the, the Gator student section up. And obviously Todd Golden played him because I was there. Um, there's no other explanation for it whatsoever uh, was Niles Lane, who uh, I thought played terrific, begging the question of why he hasn't played much this season, but uh, integral to Florida's 22-6 run to end the first half, integral to Florida's 8-0 run to retake the lead in the second half. Um, unfortunately had a, a tough possession late in the game, which I don't know if he has a tough possession late in the game, if he's played more, um, but we got to keep it balanced on the Nile stuff. Um, other than that kind of bad shot that he took late, um, it was hard to find anything that he did wrong. thought he played great defense on case and Wallace, Eric. And uh, he had a coast to coast layup where he not only showed that he could handle the ball, but showed what you and I have talked about for a year, that he can attack the rim very quickly with his athleticism. That was a thing of beauty where he got an and one. So shout out to Niles. Really happy for him. If this was his tryout for Creighton, you know, fantastic. Um, but, uh, man, it was great to see him play and play well. Yeah, I think that uh... – we saw probably exactly what we would have expected from, from Lane when it comes to the defense, when it comes to the bursts of athleticism. And I think it's fair to say when it comes to, you know, the offensive possession at the end, because, and maybe that's still something that's informing why he hasn't always been someone that the team has wanted to play. Um, yeah. The offense has not always been fantastic and um, would play more minutes this year, help the offensive rhythm for a situation like, like that. Yeah. You, have to imagine so but uh again it's obviously offense has not been the strength of his game shooting has not been the strength of his game so um i think those are going to be considered holes until we can see him play more minutes and and uh 
hopefully either show that we're that he can do those things or just work on those things and, and be better with it. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it just again, I will I, I will just continue to say it. If you're going to compete with the top athletes of the SEC, you need to have athletes of that caliber on the floor or you need exceedingly skilled players who are not that athletic. The Gators in recent years have not been exceedingly skilled nor athletic enough to compete at these levels. And then there's just times where you see um, you need a couple of those guys to compete. And now they was able to step on the floor being ice cold and give quality minutes, um, particularly on the defensive side. So um, yeah, like you said, I don't know if this is an audition for his next team or, and I, I don't even know if this is an audition for Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, given the season, I'm not even sure right, we, right. What, what we see of him Saturday. But I certainly think that he has shown that he deserves uh, deserves some minutes. And, uh, yeah, that's, I, would, I would love to see him because I think he can contribute to, to winning. And, if the game, again, at this point, Gators did put together a pretty good offensive game against Kentucky. But if they're going to find a way to compete with anyone left on their schedule, they're going to need to get the, the the defense to a level better than it's been the last two games. And of course, Niles Lane could help with that. Yeah. He was the only Florida player that finished positive and plus minus. He was plus 10 in the first half, um, which is really good against anyone. Um, very good against a, a talented Kentucky team. I mean, the biggest thing was just that he primarily was in the game to defend case and Wallace and Kaysen Wallace feasted against Florida at Rupp Arena. And Eric, I mean, he was – Wallace was two of eight, missed his only three, uh, had eight points, had three turnovers. I mean, you know, it, again, this is kind of like Eric said, this is what we expected from Niles, and, and hopefully uh, he's back out there on Saturday against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I would I would hope so. Um, and uh, yeah, is this the time we we transition to Vanderbilt? Do you have anything more you have to uh, say on this Kentucky game? I mean, not really. I, I I wanted to give like I thought Wacy played well offensively too. Um, so I feel bad, kind of, you know. And and I guess I didn't bury him because I said I don't know what they were trying to do schematically with Wacy to where he didn't get to help as much defensively with rebounds and they didn't play Alex fudge in the second half. So um, eight Gators played 15 minutes or more. They kind of relegated Alex to the ninth man role. I don't know if that means that Todd sees like Niles and Alex is like interchangeable um, to some extent. I sort of understand that they're both offensively limited to some extent, I guess, but like, they're certainly not the same player because Alex Fudge is six nine, and like you could clearly play him at a different spot than Lane. Uh, they're different types of wings, right? So um, it was interesting that he got relegated to the bench. And I guess the last thing I wanted to say was, you know, uh, I did think Kentucky respected Alex Shimshek's like ability to shoot a little more than I kind of thought they would in the scout, and that helped Florida. Um, it hurt Florida late not to have CJ Felder in the game to like compete on the glass though. Yeah. I mean, I thought that Niles Lane could have helped the team for a little bit. He's, you know, just got on the floor. Um, CJ Felder's kind of in that same boat. Someone that um, again, still a little bit of mystery surrounding why he um, hasn't been on the floor this season, even prior to him stepping away from the team. So it's one of those things that I don't, you know, I, I just don't even know how to, comment on it other than to say that if he's healthy and, and ready to go, he's someone that I think should be playing a regular shift for this team, particularly with the limitations that the Gators have in the front court. Um, I would have also, you know, even thought Felder 
if healthy and available, would probably be a better option. With all due respect to Shimchik, who's you know been put into a tough position and had a couple uh, you know good moments for sure. Um, I would have thought that CJ Felder would be the the guy who slides into that 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 role for sure, providing Smith the center. So um, yeah, I just don't really know what to say on that one, other than like yes, I do think. Uh, I'd say, hey, someone that I thought should start to start this season. So, um, yeah, clearly I think that he's someone that I expected to, to play a role. Yeah, no doubt. Um, transitioning to Vanderbilt, uh, as Eric mentioned, the Gators head to Memorial Gym. Um, always a fascinating place to play. Eric's talked about how he likes it because, like, if the students have to – the students are, like, below the floor – um, so like if you rush the floor there, you have to climb up, which is always like interesting. I, I've seen it. Um, I've been there. Uh, the, I mean, shooters say it's a spectacular place to shoot. Um, the sight lines are a little strange because of it really is just an old gymnasium, um, which I think kind of makes it a cool fan experience, but uh, you know, it is, it does take a little getting used to, but Vanderbilt players like John Jenkins and dudes that have played there over the years, Will Purdue said it's just, it was just a spectacular place to shoot. Um, you know, so, um, anyway, <laughs> just kind of my rant on Memorial gym. That's, that's relatively useless, but it's always fun when Florida goes there, it'll be Todd's first experience of, of coaching from behind the basket. <laughs> As everyone knows, the, Benches are not on the sidelines at Memorial Gym. And the Gators try to avoid getting swept by Vanderbilt for the first time uh, since Vanderbilt's last NCAA tournament trip and the, the year that uh, Florida advanced all the way to the Elite Eight. And, of course, Vanderbilt made the NCAA tournament basically because they – or no, so the year Florida went to the second round. Um, Chris Chios is senior year, if I, I stand corrected. And I think uh, Vanderbilt went to the NCAA tournament solely because they swept Florida, beat them three times, and then had the famous timeout game against uh, Northwestern in the first round. Um, but uh, this would be Vanderbilt's first season sweep since that 2018-19 campaign. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it was really looking for a second there like uh, that Vanderbilt was going to have like an outside shot at an at-large kind of caliber resume um, to beat the Gators. Last time it was three wins in a row. They had just beaten Tennessee. Um, after beating the Gators, they beat South Carolina and then they beat Auburn. Um, and, but then just absolutely disaster struck and they lost to LSU and that might be the kind of their last chance at, at an at-large kind of situation. Um, they also lost to Grambling State in non-conference play. So, um, again, it, I'm not saying they were they would have been in the field, but there was kind of like growing momentum and they're playing well. And, and there was some discussion that like, oh, yeah, this could absolutely be an NCAA tournament team. Um, it's now looking like not so much, but still I think that they're playing some pretty good basketball despite coming off a, a bad loss to LSU. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, again, their offensive number just keeps rising. They were able to just cut up the Gators and, and, and dominate them offensively there. And uh, the Gators have not, that was when the Gators were playing pretty good um, defensively. Um, now the Gators have had two games where they haven't played very well defensively. So that's gotta be a concern going against Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, the doors, it wasn't like Liam Robbins got stopped at LSU. He had 23 points and, um, played pretty well, just kind of got beat by KJ Williams. LSU shot nine of 20 from three. Um, you know, 
Vanderbilt is not a good defensive team. They're the worst defense in the SEC. I, you know, again, it gets back to like, what do you think? You get to, to Eric's point. Do you bet on Florida to score against anybody? Certainly, the Gators were able to score a lot of points against Vanderbilt the last time, and it didn't matter. They lost at home. They also had a bunch of points from Colin Castleton in that game. Uh, there won't be any such relief. Um, you know, what do you value? Do you think you need to play more possessions? Certainly that was what LSU wanted to do. Um, and they were able to beat Vanderbilt doing that. Um, Vanderbilt has played, you know, at a reasonably, uh, yeah, kind of an average tempo all season long. So, you know, when they've slowed down though, they've been a little bit better. Um, so maybe Florida tries to push the tempo a little, Eric, and, and see if they can get into a, you know, a game where they score and then hope that their first shot defense is good again and, and that they can compete on the glass. Yeah. So Liam Robbins has just been revitalized since dominating the Gators. Um, 32 points was his uh, season high um, against the Gators. And then in their last three games, he's had 24, 24 and 23 points. Um, I think his prior, uh, his prior season high was 22 points. And then his last four games has been 32 against Florida, then 24, 24, 23 points. So he is um, playing outstanding. Um, it was actually pretty wild too. Against uh, against Auburn, he had 20 free throw attempts. Against LSU, he had 15. He had 11 against the Gators. He had 10 against South Carolina. But yeah, last two games, he's had 20 and 15 free throws. So he's doing it efficiently um, that way. So I think, again, when you see him getting to the line against just what everyone for the Gators who have a, you know, a front court that's not going to be great in these one-on-one matchups. That's going to be pretty uh, concerning. I, I mean, on the last podcast, and um, I mentioned that I didn't think that Liam Robbins was in the same kind of class as, as Colin Castleton. Liam Robbins, is, again, has the, the, the massive game there. Um, I was getting, you know, I, I, I got to shout out the the various, you know, Vanderbilt fans that, that were tweeting at me. Um, actually, again, in, in, in probably the fashion you'd expect, they were actually quite respectful in their way of, 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 of trolling me. Um, and pointing out that I said that the, the, the one thing I'll say, and uh, again, this is not to take, take away from Liam Robbins, but to, you know, I'll defend Con Castle. And again, just watching back to that game, it wasn't like it was Liam Robbins going one-on-one on Castleton and scoring a bunch. It was Stackhouse's offense being so good. And then it was getting the Gators into rotation. Castleton slips over and they were dumping it to Robbins who Robbins just has such a good ability to get into space, get into scoring positions. He's got great hands. So like there was like a lot of times where they were getting these baseline drives. Cats would have to rotate over. There'd be a circle cut by, by Robbins and he'd flash to, you know, the front of the rim, get the ball and reverse pivot. And, and have a really nice finish. And it was one of those things where I'm like, that's an excellent play by Liam Robbins, but it wasn't a bad play by Castleton. So again, I'm not like, let's be clear. Robbins was the player of the game in that one, but I don't think it was, yeah. like, oh, he's he's just dominating Colin Castleton. Um, and I again, watching these these last three games since that Florida game where we, Liam Robbins has continued to be outstanding. Um, he's just so smart and so well utilized within what's a really good offense. So um, will he score 20? Like if, if the over-under is is 20 and a half points, I'm going over for, for Liam Robbins. I just think that um, that Vanderbilt offense is humming. Liam Robbins is so good within that offense, um, making reads. And, um, you know, I mentioned that I didn't think that Liam Robbins was still, you know, why I thought he was good. He wasn't in the same class as Colin Castleton. Um, well, you know, respectfully to Florida centers, I don't think they're in the class of, of Liam Robbins. So I think Ooh. he has a, has a huge game in the front court. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, Castleton had 25 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks. I mean, like, so it wasn't like Colin was out there not stuffing the stat sheet as usual. Just Liam Robbins played uh, really well, and he's played really well since. Again, to the point, you know, he was very good against LSU. It was just a matter of K.J. Williams being sensational, right, with 35 points, hitting five threes. Uh, grabbing 10 boards. I mean, you know, KJ Williams is a special player and he had a special game. Um, I don't know who, you know, outside of Riley Google, Florida can look at and say, Hey, we need you to go to Memorial gym and just light it up. But I will say that, you know, hopefully the Gators continue to play hard. they certainly seem to have found some combinations with their depth that are helpful uh, in the Kentucky game. Um, not just in terms of Niles, but like getting Kowasi a little bit right the last couple games seems to be, you know, something that they can build on. Will Richard hit a big shot in the second half against Kentucky? Um, you know, so hopefully we continue to see Florida adjust to playing offensively without Colin Castleton to where they can score enough to, to stay in the game and have a chance to win in the end. Yeah, so speaking of guys, like, again, it's one of those things where when it came to talking about Niles Lane, when it came to talking with C.J. Felder, we were kind of in a position where um, it just wasn't really worth us discussing on the podcast, talking about, well, we'd like to see these guys play, and then we kind of just knew they weren't. Um, someone who has kind of gotten into the the point of um, for this podcast where we haven't even discussed him because it just doesn't seem like he's – in, in, in the game plan would be would be Trey Bonham, um, someone who had big non-conference games, um, has not been used very much in SEC play and has just kind of largely fallen out of out of the rotation. Um, are you at the point with Bonham that you just like don't even like when you, you when you when you look at a game that you just don't even don't even think, oh, I wonder if he's going to play or what impact can he have? Is he into the like Niles Lane, CJ Felder? boat of you just don't even really think about him because it's it, there, there's no reason to expect him to play and then of course the other question would be do you think he should be playing yeah i mean look um i think with florida adjusting to life without colin castleton and trying to close the season strong I, i've mentioned the reasons that they want to do that uh the largest one i think being not having a losing season not finishing the year with a losing record um and yeah, I don't think we've discussed Trey Bonham because it seems like he's just kind of fallen out of favor or, um, you know, he's had trouble carving out a role, but Florida's not defending at a particularly high level. It doesn't look like they're going to defend at a particularly high level without Colin. So there needs to be an emphasis on scoring points. And it's a little strange to see, you know, Trey Bonham get a DMP or play, you know, a minute and 29 seconds or, you know, whatever the last couple of games have been when, he could score. And I already mentioned, I think they want to try to speed up the tempo against Vanderbilt a little bit. I know that may sound counterintuitive to how Florida has played all year. Um, and it seems odd to give a good offensive team more possessions, but again, Vanderbilt has been more comfortable in slower to mid tempo games um, all season, despite winning at Florida in a higher position game. And Trey Bonham seems to be suited for that. And as good as Liam Robbins is and, and as good as uh, a couple of, of Vanderbilt's wings have been, you know, their guards aren't anything spectacular. It's not like, you know, you're really putting yourself at big risk by playing Trey Bonham. So it's a little strange that, that he wouldn't get a look in a game like Vanderbilt. 
I'd like to see him out there. And again, when we're talking about the Gators now being a team that's going to be not favored in, in against a lot of teams. Um, and I think maybe you have to go to some more extreme strategies. Um, I think the Gators need to shoot more threes, add a little bit more variance to the game. They have not shot a lot of threes all season long, in fairness. So suggesting a change from that might be a little bit foolish. But again, if you're out talented, I, I wouldn't mind seeing the Gators put up a few more threes, see if they can get hot. I know some people are going to be like, Eric, they're not going to get hot. <laughs> We've seen this team struggle to shoot. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think if you, you, you probably need to add a little bit more variance, shoot a little bit more threes. And if... Uh, that's a game plan. Um, Bonham's definitely a guy who I'd like to see out there. Um, he, of course, has some of that, that spurred ability where he can get really hot. Um, so he's someone that I think you kind of should be rolling out there a little bit, take the temperature, see how his shot's feeling, see if he's able to create something. If not, well, that's all right. You don't have to play him. You already haven't been playing him. But there's an, like he's one of the guys that like there's not a lot of players on the Gators where you could reasonably say, hey, you wouldn't be surprised if they scored 23 points on, on Saturday. Um, Bonham is, is one of those guys. And I think you just need a little bit of that spurt ability in the lineup. Not saying that you play Trey Bonham and you're going to guarantee 23 points, but you give yourself just that, that bite at the apple, that opportunity that someone can kind of go off that you just don't have with a couple of the other pieces on the perimeter. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. Um, and look, I mean, it's a big game. Uh, you know, I don't think we're not talking about Florida's NCA or SMA. We're now discussing whether or not, there's value in Todd Golden taking a team to the NIT um, in his first year. You know, I think Florida probably needs to win their final three regular season games, as weird as that is, to to feel good about where they are NIT-wise as they head to the SEC tournament. Um, all three games are winnable. Uh, all three games are losable, quite honestly. So, um, you know, starts, uh, starts Saturday. Unfortunately for Florida, only one of the games is at home. Um, but, you know, sure wouldn't want to finish with two losses and um, all but assure yourselves of the second losing season for this program this century. Uh, that's not where you want to be when you're you're starting out as the head coach at, at the University of Florida. So big one Saturday. I uh, hope that the, you know, Gators continue to play hard. Um, something that's actually – I was just looking at this, and again, maybe you knew it or – whatever but this is probably going to be a surprise to some people listening so when you look at that team that like the last team that went that had the losing season that last season of billy donovan um the gators were 34th in ken palm um, which is something that's like just speaks to how unlucky that season was um and then of course if you look at a lot of their games it was like you know one point loss to a texas a&m team that was just you know okay a one point loss to an old miss team that was you know just kind of you know good but not great like they just had right they just got on the wrong side of actually twice i think both they played Ole Miss twice and um lost by a single point both times and um again it just seemed like that was just quite uh that that season was just so unlucky and at 34th and ken palm i think you can pretty easily argue that the Gators were probably better than that record would indicate. Um, it's kind of going to be tough to evaluate this one without Colin Castleton down the stretch. Might have to rating. Of course, you've got to think about the strength of schedule. Um, that context matters. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a different feel um, from that last team that had a losing record. But hey, hopefully we don't have to compare those teams because maybe this team uh, gets it done and gets gets uh, gets a positive positive record here. Um, 
I'm sure we'll talk about the NIT thing. If the Gators are in a position to go to an NIT, um, would it be would it be smart to do so? Um, I think we just table that one for now and, and see if we talk about it later. But that's certainly going to be a certainly going to be a, a, a topic for for conversation. Um, I, I was going to change the subject one one bit if you uh, unless you have anything more on on Vanderbilt. Nope, I got nothing. All right, let's uh, let's just talk quick. Um, of course, last summer was the summer of coaching changes in the sec whole bunch of changes we just got recording this early on friday morning so um something that was not a big surprise to anyone but maybe a little bit of a surprise from the timing of it was 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 old miss firing um kermit davis and uh yeah i'm just curious what uh, what you think about um where that job stands particularly in the sec and like how how attractive you think that job is, is going to be um of course the context is um one of the very popular names to get that job is is, is former florida assistant dusty may who we've had talked about a bunch of times on this podcast because of what he's what he's done at florida atlantic and uh you know i think there's some conversation to say like oh is is that a job he should even take or should he take you know a job in the acc or something like that so um yeah what is what is this um what does this kind of kermit davis news tell you about um you know, coaching in the SEC and and uh, what what you think this job is gonna is just kind of, is gonna kind of yield. Well, I think the SEC has changed. I mean, Greg Sankey came in as commissioner of the SEC and and made it an emphasis for teams to schedule harder, and that was step one. Um, you know, he said, "I want I want you guys to schedule better. I think that'll help us make more NCAA tournaments. It'll get more eyeballs on the league." And um, the SEC network has obviously had an immense immense impact on basketball in this conference. And so now, you know, I don't think anybody would argue with me that the SEC is a top three or top four basketball league in the country. Um, you know, it's in the, I think it's probably the the second or third best league this year, um, depending on how much you buy into the big 10. Um, and so, you know, then you say, okay, so that makes the job attractive probably, but, where does it stand in the SEC? And I think at best it's the 11th or 12th best job in the SEC. Like it's just not a great job. Um, you know, you do have Memphis there to recruit uh, about 45 minutes away. That's traditionally been a place where every Ole Miss coach since the beginning of time has recruited players. Um, you know, they're going to do pretty well in Memphis. They're going to get their fair share of Memphis players. Um, but Kermit was recruiting there. Um you know, Kermit was really successful at the mid-major level, very successful, like beat Michigan State in March successful and um, didn't work. Uh, I don't know, Eric. I don't think it's a great job. If I'm Dusty May, I'm steering clear of a job like that, you know, unless it's just the type of life-altering money that um, – you know, makes him think, well, I can go there. And if it doesn't work out, I'll land on my feet at the mid-major level for a couple of years. Like I don't, you know, and I don't know how many coaches would ever actually think that way, but if I'm dusty, I'm 25 and three right now, I'm about to win my first conference title. Um, you know, I'm going to the NCAA tournament because their net is in the top 30 and no team in the top 30 of the net has not been a net large ever. So even if they lose, in the conference USA tournament, they're going to be in, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. And I think, I don't know how many other sec openings there are going to be. Um, I guess that's kind of something to worth thinking about. Like, I don't know what Vanderbilt's going to do. That would probably be the only other 
one that I could think of um, that will be open. And I wouldn't want that job either if I were Dusty Nui. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think there will be better things out. There will be other suitors for Dusty, and they'll all have $2 million to $3 million price tags on them. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see what what he values. And and again, I think you just said 11th for the uh, for Ole Miss in terms of where you uh, put it in the job. And yeah. I'm going to guess that you are not factoring in, um, which you're not should have. I'm guessing you did not um, factor in, you know, Texas and, uh, and Oklahoma into that equation. So it's about to get no even thirteenth or fourteenth, right? So <laughs> yeah, I'll just it's it's just this is going to be a really interesting one to see. Like like the money, of course, is is incredible at the SEC level. Um, yeah, I think the SEC is just only going to become more powerful in in, in basketball. So it's just going to be interesting to see. Like, does a coach like Dusty May value? Um, are you the like prestige that we think the SEC is going to have in, in basketball, uh, as well as the the huge paycheck, um, or is it going to be like like oh I actually think that maybe a, 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 a you know mid mid level ACC job is somewhere where that he wants to be because he can win a little bit more. So I'll I'll, I'll be fascinated. And again, it's just interesting where, um, of course, last uh, last summer was the. Um, big summer of changes in, in the SEC and the SEC kind of got whatever coaches they wanted. When you, when you look at it, they got all the biggest names kind of like, all, you know, quote unquote free agents, Pretty again, much. Not, the Todd, not the Todd golden and Matt and McMahon. And, you know, we're, we're free agents, but they were the most sought after mid major guys. Um, and of course, you know, things haven't been off to a, a, a stellar start in, in Florida. They haven't been off to a stellar start in LSU. Um, Things haven't been off to a stellar start in South Carolina. Um, I think that Mississippi State, you know, it's not like Mississippi State's in a great spot, but I think that they they they're Chris Jans is doing a pretty good sure. job, yeah. right? So, but so yeah, that's just it's going to be interesting to see. Um, again, it might probably not going to be changes for a little while in the SEC, like you mentioned. Um, but I also wonder too if the money's just so unbelievable if we start seeing changes a little bit quicker than than normal with some of these jobs. I thought, and and then the last thing I'll ask you about, about Kermit Davis, and I'll, I'll mention too, like. Hey, I thought McMahon was an awesome hire at LSU, an awesome one. That hasn't uh, gone very well so far. Um, so, uh, you know, I will also say that I was not as big a fan of Kermit Davis to Ole Miss, but I will say that I was, you know, when it happened, I thought, hey, that's a good hire. I'm just curious. Again, this is your opportunity to even lie if you want, because I don't know if anyone can pull any receipts from, you know, five years ago. But um, did you think that Kermit Davis was a good good hire at the time? Yeah, I mean, look, we uh, we had Blake Level on to talk about all the changes that year. I think um, I put Kermit like just above the Tom Crean hire <laughs> and kind of thought mm. like I got it. I understood why they made that because he had all the Mississippi roots and checked a lot of boxes. But remember, I and they could pull the receipts on me saying I don't know why they ever got rid of Andy Kennedy. He was winning. Um, they had continuity. They had won an SEC tournament at Ole Miss with Andy Kennedy. Uh, they had been to the precipice of the Sweet 16 a couple times, I think a possession away, um, the Marshall Henderson year or something like that. I mean, man, I just didn't – I don't know. Um, I didn't think I didn't think they really upgraded with Kermit necessarily, uh, in my opinion. And I didn't think that hiring a defensive coach at that program – was really the right way to go. Uh, so, you know, wasn't nuts about it, but also recognized that Kermit had been a very successful mid-major coach for a long time. 
Um, so I didn't think that his, I, I'll be honest. I did not think his floor was going to be this. Like I'm surprised that they're 10 and 18 and terrible. It's like, Hey, I don't like, is it still the same administration in, uh, in Ole Miss that uh, would have hired Kermit Davis or is they have any changes ah, there? Gosh. Cause I, I, don't I, know. I, I mean, I'm not to get, you, you don't see this happening. So to be un, unrealistic, but like, like objectively, if Andy Kennedy didn't already get fired from Ole Miss, like Andy Kennedy would be a guy that Ole Miss should be looking at. You know what I mean? Like UAB would be like the sixth best team in the SEC right now if they were in the SEC. That team is awesome, and they were awesome last year. Um, Andy Kennedy has been outstanding at UAB. Um, again, he'll be someone that's going to be in talks to get back to a high major level. And hey, almost uh, um, Andy Kennedy might might end up being like uh, someone who's like. Uh, six like a real uh, you know I, i'll say success story i can't think of the term i'm looking for but he gets fired from old miss after being pretty good he takes a year off i believe um because he's you know yep. he's calling florida games on sec network then he takes uab a pretty good job turns them into one of the best mid-major teams in the country um you yep. know we get we can argue what, even actually whether they're better than than florida atlantic florida atlantic's numbers are better clearly but wouldn't shock me at all if um you know uab was a better team beats them in the tournament yep um and uh, now he's going to end up at a job that could be better than, you know, I think that Andy Kennedy, like, you know, if West Virginia opens up, Andy Kennedy will be talked about for that one. Again, like I said, if, like, <laughs> if not for Ole Miss firing Andy Kennedy, you know, a few years ago, like, that's the that's the job that I think would be, you know, this, the exact job that Andy Kennedy, they, they should be looking at Andy Kennedy. So, um, hey, good for Andy Kennedy for, you know, he was someone that when he got fired, a couple of people, there was definitely people out there that were like, hey, you know, he never really, like, broke through, but. Hey, that floor was was pretty high, and uh, yeah, now he could end up at an even better job than Ole Miss. So that's going to be a it's going to be an interesting one for sure. Um, and again, just whenever there's openings in the SEC, um, we 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 are definitely very interested in, in in that. So hey, would we like to see you know Dusty May, who you know we know in the SEC? Hey, that would be awesome. Selfishly, I hope he takes he takes Ole Miss because it'd be cool to have him in the SEC. I'm just genuinely right. curious to see if that's what he values. Yeah, no, I would be a little bit surprised, but uh, then again, you never know. I mean, he may look at it as an opportunity to get into the league and come what may. So we'll see. Uh, you know, I think if he looks at a guy like Chris Jan success, having success at Miss State, maybe that gives him some confidence. Um, but I don't think Ben Howen left the cupboard quite as bare as, mm. as Kermit is going to leave it here in Oxford. So I think that's something to keep in mind too. Remember those Miss State teams under Howland were never bad. They just weren't quite good enough to get to the NCAA tournament. Looks like Chris Jans is going to get there in year one, um, which uh, well, I guess that'll make him the only first year coach um, in the league that no Dennis Gates is going to go. So uh, two guys that are, that are going to go and we'll see, we'll see what, uh, what happens in the sec tournament, you know, it could have a couple in the NIT with Blanco. And um, if you consider Blanco first year and then hmm. uh, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt or Florida probably headed to the national invitational tournament. Um, but I will let Eric sign us off. Hope you guys enjoy the Vanderbilt game and Eric's going to have the post game Patreon stuff for you guys this weekend. All right, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts. <laughs>